We at the GLA like to think of ourselves as a deciduous podcast. By that, we mean that the things we talk about are very in the moment and often irrelevant if you listen to us a few weeks after we upload. Often, they're already irrelevant by the time we release the podcast. With that in mind, on this episode, we will be talking at length about coronavirus, how it is affecting us, and how it's the end of the fucking world. So, Moogle, you've got the coronavirus. I died three days ago. This is essential recording. Rest in Bethis. Of Moogle Pies. R-Type, Hollow Knight, Ridge Racer. There you go. Took off your bingo sheet, lads. He can die now. He's said it all. I've already died. That happened three days ago, I told you. Joining us today, as well as the ghost of Moogle Pies, we have Catsman. Yo, what it is? MD, also known as Delicious. Hey. Raisin Bran. Hey. Shiny Missing No. Hey. And I'm your annoying host, Specs. It's you. It's me, Specs. Uh, I think to kick things off, do we want to talk about Game of the Decade finally? Finally get that over with? I think we should leave it till later in the year. Can we decide on our Game of the Decade for the 2010s at the end of the 2020s? <laughs> that would fit with the schedule. Yeah, can we do that? I haven't even decided on my Game of the 90s. Like Donkey Kong 64, mate. Stop. <laughs> that Was that still the 90s? Yeah. My game of the decade current is probably still DK64. <laughs> 1999. But I played it this decade. The DK rap dates it. It's like a fossil. The 90s have a lot to answer for, I swear. My game of the decade is Bejeweled 3. Next. I mentioned that game yesterday. But I have like I have 50 hours in Bejeweled 3. I've beaten everything. Yeah, I've got 43. Can Bejeweled really be a game of the decade? Bejeweled 3 is amazing. He's not wrong. I'm going to throw out some inspiration for you guys. Mario Galaxy 2 and Breath of the Wild both came out this decade. Mm -hmm. Mario Galaxy 2 is 2011, so it definitely counts. Yeah, we were having a look at a list yesterday and realized how much good shit came out in the early 2010s. Yeah. Yeah. There was a bit sparse in the middle, but I think early and late really picked up. We have our full complement of weird offbeat RPGs. Uh, Lisa, Undertale, Space Funeral, Jimmy and the Pulsating Mass, uh, various other weird bullshit that I forgot. I have like a collection of games in the decade that I've found most impactful for me personally. Well, you already mentioned two of them, Breath of the Wild and um, Undertale mm. were two of mine. Other ones I mentioned yesterday, we were kind of spitballing a little bit. Doki Doki Literature Club as not a joke, not even a joke. Very, very good game. I enjoy a game that comes out of the left field, just like appears one day. Also... Amnesia, 2010. Amnesia was 2010. Shit. It was, yeah. Yeah. For some reason, mm-hmm. I feel like that's older, man. No. And the second one, the proper second one, coming out this year, 10 years later. 
Do we want to maybe get out of the way Breath of the Wild now? Because that's on my list as well. I imagine it's on most people's lists. <laughs> it's up there for me too. Breath of the Wild is my game of the decade. I'm sorry, Bejeweled 3. Your time will come. No, it won't. Yeah. Next decade. <laughs> How dare you? For me... Breath of the Wild is one of the very few games, definitely from this decade, but perhaps from my lifetime, that I think about sort of on a weekly basis and think, I wish I could go back and play that without any prior knowledge of it, like completely blank my brain and just yeah. go back and run through it again. Because like, it's just got that kind of magical feel that makes you really want to be with the game again you know yeah i played it obsessively over the course of a few weeks and when i finished it my first thought was oh man i can't wait to forget about this game so i can play it again dude sam it's literally like the second you open it up it's just a hit of serotonin it's so fucking good <laughs> moogle i hope you live long enough to play breath of the wild too moogle's been playing breath of the wild again recently i have I, uh, I went and emulated it after having played it on the switch like three years ago and then not touched it since I got to the Rito village today and I got that little that little well up in the chest. It's like, oh, it's that music, it's it's that it's sunny, it's the music, the Rito are there, and it's just yes. nice, you know? It's just nice. The whole game is just very it's nice. It's just lovely. It's a good game to play when you're very sad as well. Yeah. Yes. Oh my god, yes, exactly. I played it when I was having a really bad time at work. None of my simulations were working and it everything was broken and I was just like, oh man. You know, if I hadn't had that game, my coworker referred to year two as the Valley of Depression. And I think <laughs> Breath of the Wild helped me climb out of the valley, no joke. It's just, it's beautiful. You know, it's, it's a massive game world where every single character, every single NPC has a name. And the names matter. Like, there's a quest where the names matter in it, because you have to find NPCs with the right names. Oh, the sons? You have, to, yeah, you have to find the sons, you have to find people with sun on the end of the name, because for whatever reason, like, the building company, like, the construction company, they only accept people with sun on the end of their name. Yeah, love that. It's fucking wonderful, like, the fact that you can take a, a world where every single character has a name and turn that into a gameplay element in the background, it's just it's beautiful. And everything looks great as well, the whole game looks great, the art style hasn't aged a day since 2017, and it looked nice then. It's gorgeous on emulator as well. It is, it really is. It's the colouring, it's the colour palette. Like, mm. there's lots of games out there that have better, like, lighting effects and all of that on the technical side, but Breath of the Wild has such well-chosen colours and such well-designed weather effects as well. Not only does it always make the environment look great, but also it means you can go back to the same environment in different weather conditions, and it looks completely different. The palette is all changed, but the palette is still great. That's really an accomplishment. Also, the skyboxes are gorgeous. I love a game with a good skybox. I remember us doing Games of the Year, the year it came out, and I said I'm not going to give it to Breath of the Wild because there were a few little things that like annoyed me about it and I felt like it could be a better game than it was with a few like key changes. But like having the time away from it to sort of think about it, it makes me appreciate it more, which is why I'd say it's on my Game of the mm. Decade list, just because, like I say, there's not another game that's given me the same feeling I had with it. Yeah, I really agree with that. In 2017 as well, I felt the same way. Like, my game of the year then was Odyssey. Yeah, same. The more I look back on it, the more I realize how much more fondly I look back on my time with Breath of the Wild. Yeah, exactly. For me, same. Do you want to move on to something else? MD, you've been silent. What do you want to talk about? Everybody said pretty much what I wanted to say about Breath of the Wild. 
I don't know. I got a few different games of the decade. Do you guys want to know what they are? Yeah, yeah throw out yeah. some, some more off-kilter selections for us. So number one's a bit sentimental to me. Uh, it's Super Smash Bros. 4. Ooh. And it's because I met some very good friends through there that I'm probably going to be friends with for a while. Yeah, fair cool. enough. Shoutouts to Bran. Time wireless for the same reason. Smash Ultimate is on my Game of the Decade list, mostly because it's better than 4 and it's got so many video game characters in it that, like, I feel like it deserves to be up there for just bringing so many franchises together. I'll agree with that. Specs connections. I hate playing 4 now, so <laughs> I love playing Ultimate. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, like, 4 was the point of recovery because 4 came after Brawl and Brawl was, like, the nadir in the whole series. And 4 is I, still I think... playing. So, 4 is more playable than Brawl, but like, there's no reason to play 4 when Ultimate is just 4 but yeah. better, mm. and Brawl has the single player that 4 doesn't have, because the subspace emissary is killer, and I don't give a shit what you say, I'll always love Brawl for that. Alright! I agree with that. I feel like Smash Bros is like a video game event now, more than it is just a game. It's a thing that happens, and your enjoyment of the game isn't limited to when you've played it. It's also there before the game has come out, and you're enjoying, like, the build-up to it. It's one of those really weird games that everyone seems to get excited over, no matter where you sit in gaming, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, because it's got, like, something for everybody, pretty much. Mm. I'll be excited when they put Earthworm Jim in it. <laughs> God damn it. Ticket off your bingo cards, lads. He's such a groovy guy. As far as actual gameplay goes, I'm pretty sure it's either King of Fighters 13 or Sonic Mania for me for the decade. Oh, Sonic Mania is a, is a good one. A Sonic game? <laughs> Shut up, Shiny. Your favorite was Donkey Kong 64. Don't even. <laughs> <laughs> Sonic Mania is the first good Sonic game in like 20 years. It wasn't enough for me. I think I've decided that Sonic was never good, and I'm- Sonic I was just... good. Sonic was good. Sonic CD is the best. Sonic Mania is good. You know what? Scratch this Super Smash Bros. 4 thing. Brandon doesn't like Sonic Mania, <laughs> so never mind. Catman, new best friend. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Sonic Mania, like, I enjoyed what I played with it, but then I didn't have any kind of feeling that I wanted to go back and play it again to get all of the- secrets and everything i was just like no one or two playthroughs was enough i don't do that even with games that i really like i didn't even finish it because the final boss pissed me off but i loved the whole game otherwise it was probably the best 2d sonic game but still i was like i don't think i actually like this anymore maybe it's just me now like sonic used to be my favorite game when i was a kid and sonic 2 was like my first video game but i've just had enough of it i can't stand it anymore i don't think <laughs> i can't stand, I can't it stand anymore. sonic <laughs> Damn, that's, <laughs> that's really sad. I've had all I can stands and I can't stands no more. Yikes, okay. <laughs> Sonic Mania is the only Sonic game I've ever beaten, and I've only ever played like a few minutes of other Sonic games. It was a bit frustrating at some points. Watching him play it was so painful. I couldn't do it. <laughs> oh yeah, it was bad. It was real bad. You sort of build up an instinct playing Sonic games for like what you're supposed to do in given areas. Yeah, I have no Sonic instincts, so I always try to like do the wrong thing. I still had an overall good time with it and also like one of the best soundtracks ever. Holy shit, that, that soundtrack slaps. Mm. That alone like puts it up for me because soundtrack is so important for me. I agree. It is a very good soundtrack. Really good music. 
I want to throw out a mention of Shovel Knight and Factorio. Yes. I was going to say Shovel Knight too. Yes. So Shovel Knight has some of the best design 2D platformer levels I've ever seen in a game. The amount of shit they do with it in that Shovel Knight is what all of my shitty indie games aspire to be. What I've played of Shovel Knight, I enjoyed. I just kind of dipped out of it and never then went back to it. I think I played it on 3DS, but the fact that like they just kept adding content to it... Mm. As a game of the decade, it's been going for like half the decade, right? Yeah, they released it in like 2015, I think. And then they spent sounds about right. five years making free updates for it. They promised in the Kickstarter they would add new playable characters. But when it got time to add the characters, they were like, oh, well, let's just give the levels a little bit of a redesign. <laughs> and then it spiraled out of control. Okay, it did. But I'm glad because we got the Spectre Knight campaign. And that is Spectre Knight's campaign in Shovel Knight is kind of like what Ninja Gaiden on NES should have been. Hmm. My favorite Shovel Knight memory was when all the DLC came out and then it was like way more pricier, but then I found it on Amazon for like 20 bucks, so it was pretty exciting. <laughs> I'm a big fan of games where the developer releases it and then you just get this little thing for free later on, and it's not even little. It's a gigantic amount of content that they've just given you for free. It's a huge amount of content. It's better than the base game, and I'm worried that most people who played the base game haven't played it. So if you played the base game back in the day, Go back and play the expansions. You got them for free. It is so good. I've bought this game twice because I originally played it on Wii U. And then they released the Spectre Knight campaign on the same day the Switch released. Ooh. But the thing is that I ordered my Switch and my Breath of the Wild one through Best Buy, one through Amazon. My Switch actually arrived like the day before the Switch was supposed to release. But I didn't have Breath of the Wild, so I was like, shit. What do I do with this system I have no games for? So I just bought Shovel Knight again and played Spectre Knight. Those campaigns are all so good. Also, the original game has this like irritating Kickstarter backer like anime OC character. I can't remember what his name is. He's oh, the guy with the yeah, boomerang. The guy with the boomerang. <laughs> yeah. he... Okay, can we talk about this character? <laughs> yes. He was created by a guy who has way too much money, and he is in every Kickstarter game <laughs> where there is a tier of like subscription to put a character in the game. His name is Ray's Seatlan. Yes, that's him. I'm gonna look up all the games he's in. You talk about him in Shovel Knight. There's nothing significant about him other than he's like a combination of every anime OC stereotype ever. He was designed by Danny D. Henderson. The guy runs his own Raze Satan website where he has like hundreds of paragraphs detailing everything about this character. Is this ironic or is it sincere? No, it's sincere. Oh, wow. Ooh. It's beautiful. I saw him in Indivisible. <laughs> yeah, he's in Indivisible. Yeah. It's like the Tetris effect. You play enough indie games, you see him everywhere. <laughs> he begins to like <laughs> fade into the background like noise, like TV static. He's in Valdis' story as well. I need to find a definitive list of everything he's lot. in, because he's in there at really least 20 is. games. <laughs> Speaking of Indivisible, can I talk about how, like, when Indivisible first got announced, I, like, knew I was going to love that game, and I thought that was going to be my game of the decade, and, uh... uh <clears throat> I didn't hear anything about it after it came out. I played the demo where they put out, and I didn't really like it, to be honest. It was fun for a while, but after a certain point, you pretty much just roll through enemies, and they don't really do anything to you. Like, it just kind of feels like i mean i think they did run out of time at the end honestly it all kind of fell apart which was a shame that whole valkyrie profile thing that they got going on to me just feels like chalk and cheese they don't really go together chalk and cheese or chocolate and cheese chalk and cheese 
that's what people say. They say it goes together like chalk and cheese when it doesn't go together. That's not an expression. You just made that up. It literally is an expression. That's the thing, yeah. We say oil and water. That's what I used to get in my lunchbox every day back when I lived in the Midlands. <laughs> oil and water. No, I used to get chalk and I used to get a, a slice of American cheese. <laughs> But what I was going to say was that they didn't, like, bring the guy back when they made the Shovel Knight sequels, and he's actually quite entertaining in all of the Shovel Knight DLCs, so it just amuses me that they managed to, like, salvage somebody's bullshit anime OC. I don't think he was entirely happy with how his character was portrayed, though, because they- Probably not, because they kind of make fun of him. <laughs> Does he deserve it, though? I mean, he gives them money. He just- he wants to be the protagonist. He can't be the protagonist. There's, like, a point where, like, there's that weird furry OC character in Undertale, and it's like, there's a point where you don't want the character to be in the game because it doesn't mesh well with what you're making, so you lock them away in a room and you say, <laughs> this is where they live and you can only find them once a year. No, I think the furry art club guy meshes perfectly with Undertale. Maybe Toby Fox doesn't want to admit that he meshes perfectly. The uh, spider, what the fuck is she called? Moffat. Yeah, Moffat was a Kickstarter character thing, wasn't she? Yeah, I think oh, so. Yeah, that's true. But do you think she was designed by the person who designed her for Undertale? Like, they said, I want something that will fit in this world, or no, was so. were they a pre-existing OC? I think someone made it, and then he was like, can I put this in my game? There are ways to do it well. I mean, Undertale generally does it quite well. I think if the Art Club Fairy was going to be in any game, then Undertale is the right one. <laughs> that was going to be it, wasn't it? There's a character, I think his name is Duncan, and Duncan is a giant green kangaroo that wears a diaper, who is been added to several Kickstarter <laughs> projects. Wait, God. he wears a diaper? I already hate that so much. <laughs> From what I understand, Duncan has ruined multiple games Good. by nice. his inclusion. There was like a kaiju game that Duncan got put in. Jeez. <laughs> Wait, if this is the game I'm thinking of, did Duncan truly ruin that game or was it ruined even before Duncan's appearance? Uh, Probably a bit of both. Duncan was a scapegoat. <laughs> a scapegoat kangaroo if your game turns out bad and he's in it you can be like well duncan's in it he just kind of cursed it <laughs> did anyone here play factorio afraid not nope. no no i won't talk about it at length then but if you're the kind of person who plays games like that and you're listening then hi I want to mention a game of the decade from my list. It's not one of my favourite games, and it's probably not the best game in its series, but I think it deserves to be talked about. It's Dark Souls. came out, what, 2010, 2011? And obviously has had a big influence on the entire video game industry, so much so that everything is copying Dark Souls and wants to be the Dark Souls of its genre now. I think it deserves mention just for that. Absolutely. I think it's... If you're making an objective, like, most relevant game of the decade thing, I don't think Dark Souls can be beaten for number one. I can't think of anything more important. Exactly, yeah. Minecraft. Minecraft, yes. Minecraft is previous decade. It's not, though, because Minecraft's creative update was before 2010, but the the first adventure update was in 2011. Yeah, survival mode was 2010, 2011. Survival mode is there. It sits squarely. That is what people obsess over. Excuse me. I bought Minecraft in InDev in 2009. It doesn't count. 
See, this is what I said, but we looked at when the major updates for it came out and like just the creative mode, which I would say is not Minecraft anymore, was 2009. It was definitely 2010 that you got the survival mode and everything that people actually think of as being Minecraft. I paid money for Minecraft in 2009. I'll go get my PayPal receipt. I don't care. It's 2009. See, I thought so as well. And then I checked and it was 2010. Yeah. If you go purely by like cachet in the industry, how impactful it's been massive yeah. yeah you can't do anything other than minecraft maybe at a push you could go with skyrim fortnite fortnite as well as a gigantic one here's the difference when i play a game and it has a crafting mechanic i think oh i shouldn't be playing this yes. game and then i realize i haven't played the game and i'm dreaming and i don't buy games with crafting mechanics whereas sometimes i play a game and i die and all my character's money floats away and i'm like oh thanks thanks for that dark souls thanks for that thanks for ruining this game dark souls <laughs> on the other hand you've nominated shovel knight as one of the games of the decade and that has that mechanic as well shovel knight does that but <laughs> it doesn't annoy me in shovel knight because i don't die in that game because it's just like mega man yeah, right. and therefore it's one of the two games that i'm good at watch me pull that argument out for hollow knight in about 10 minutes and get shot down my other couple of picks that are just kind of throwaways i don't think i'm going to give a proper mention to them but i really liked dragon's dogma it was what I felt like a Western fantasy kind of RPG should be like. I really enjoy it, and it's another game that I think about going back and playing quite regularly. So worth checking out if you're into Western fantasy games. I really like Xenoblade, which came out in 2010. That's Ooh. one of my favorite JRPGs, probably my favorite JRPG ever. They are remaking it, and I am considering rebuying it because I like it so much, so it needs a mention. Bran, you said oof. Was that a good or a bad oof? That's a really, really good oof. Oh, there we go. My relationship with the original Xenoblade is kind of weird because, like, the actual, like, game, like, playing it, I think is, like, fine, but I love the characters and it's got my favorite soundtrack in any video game, period. Yeah, good soundtrack. I really like the art direction in it, even though it was on the Wii, so it looked really shit. Yeah. It was a classic PS1 JRPG in all good and bad ways, so... What I really like about it is there's interesting ways to build your character other than just leveling up. There's like three leveling up systems plus the massive affinity tree. I like the combat. I like the side quests and the way they're structured. Exploring the world's really fun as well. That's that's basically why I'm into it. Same with Dragon's Dogma. Side quests are really fun in that and it's got interesting world building with them. Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze. Ooh, yeah. Okay. Yes, yes, I'd forgotten yes, about yes. that one, but you are correct. Yeah, me too. Google approves this opinion. It's probably the best 2D platformer that I've ever played, I would say. Really enjoy it. It's got a good level of difficulty. It looks really nice. Excellent music. And fairly replayable because it's got like mirror modes and time trial modes and all sorts of nonsense in it. And you can play as the Kongs individually once you complete the game, I think. I think that's the other thing. You can just... Yeah, you can. And it's got funky mode. What's not to love? Nowadays it does, yeah. Yeah. Shiny, we kind of skirted over your other stuff because we started talking about Breath of the Wild. Do you want to say anything specific about anything? I don't think so. I mentioned Undertale because obviously it's fucking Undertale. I only have one playthrough. I only have 15 hours of game time and I'm still obsessed with it, so... <laughs> What I like about Undertale is that it's kind of mainstreamed the tradition of weird RPGs because, you know, I was playing yeah. like Yume Nikki and uh, like Off and stuff back two decades ago now. Oh, Jesus, that was two decades ago. And I'm I'm just really glad that it's gone mainstream and, and new people keep on coming in and churning out like a weird offbeat RPG every few years. And I'm eternally thankful to Undertale for that. 
It's good shit, Bam. Um, Baba. Mm-hmm. Baba. Baba is good. Baba. Good choice, yeah. Baba is an excellent choice. It's like the single highest concept video game idea that's come out in like the whole decade, basically. Nothing else exists that is even remotely similar to Baba. That's the thing. Like, you could say that it's like puzzle game of the decade, but there's nothing really that is like it. I'd say maybe like The Witness would be another one for me. But I don't think The Witness executes nearly as cleanly on the idea as Baba does. It doesn't, no. It's not as advanced. Like, it doesn't go big brain as much. Baba is, is in a league of its own. Baba is, it is just a pure logic puzzle, whereas The Witness is like, oh, I should have been listening to the noises those yeah. birds made while I was doing the yeah. puzzle. I'm like, eh. I love that, though. And visually, The Witness is really, really beautiful. The Witness, for me, is another one of, like, in the Breath of the Wild camp where you just boot it up and it just gives you an injection of joy just because it's nice, a nice little environment to exist in and it's also got sick puzzles in it. Yeah. In terms of Baba, some games make you feel smart. Baba makes you feel stupid until you get it and then you feel really smart. And I don't think any game has made me feel both as stupid and as clever as Baba does, which is, is really good about it. I feel like in a good puzzle game, you're not playing against the game you're trying you're in some kind of battle with the puzzle creator and i don't think any game other than baba gives you that concentrated hit of i can see the mind of the person who has created this and in order to beat the puzzle i have to get inside of their brain i feel like there's probably nothing that does that as well as baba genius i would like to talk about the resurgence of tetris in the last two to three years Mm, yeah it's come from two places from Battle Royale of all places, a genre which I despise with every fibre of my being, and yet one of the best games of the last two or three years is probably Tetris 99. And it's glorious, it's beautiful. And then the other one is from the same people that brought us Res and like Child of Eden of all things, Tetris Effect, which is also wonderful and glorious. Tetris is timeless, but the Tetris Battle Royale is probably the only new thing that's been done with Mm. Tetris this decade, other than Cultures 2, which you should still play. The best version of Tetris to come out in the last 10 years is Tetris Party Deluxe for the WiiWare. Okay, Uh, Puyo Puyo Tetris? Oh, Puyo Puyo Tetris, motherfucker. Puyo Puyo Tetris is also good. A sequel's been leaked thanks to a survey that was done in the last couple of days, so we're going to get more of that. Oh, shit. I don't know how you get more of that because it's Puyo Puyo Tetris and that already exists. Puyo Puyo Tetris Puzzle League. (laughs) Oh, God, yes. Give me that. Until all the puzzle games just form one amorphous blob. It's called Clax. Oh, fuck clacks. Pronounced wet tricks, I think you'll find. Wet tricks. Oh, no. What's wrong with wet tricks? You own wet tricks, don't you, Shiny? Yeah, I have it. If anyone here doesn't have wet tricks, get out. <laughs> oh, I'm leaving. Adios. All right, I'm going to head out. <laughs> get out. <laughs> you should mention Hollow Knight now. I'm not going to mention I don't really need to. I mean, we've gone through like the resurgence of the 2D platformer and kind of the Metroidvania thing has happened in the last... I would say three years specifically, we've seen a big resurgence in Metroidvania. And one of the biggest things that they took away from, I guess, the rest of gaming is like the Dark Souls kind of game with Dark Soulsy mechanics and combat and like stuff around that. And Hollow Knight did that for me, which is why probably in terms of like games I keep coming back to and thinking about Hollow Knight will be up there. I enjoy it immensely, but uh, I don't really feel like I need to talk about it anymore. Thumper's another game of the decade. Good rhythm horror game. Thumper is a game that 
kind of beats you around the head and makes you enjoy it. I love Thumper. I don't know how quickly I could go back to it because I still have like flashbacks going back to it where I go, I don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> oh, I loved it. I love that game. I love it and I hate it. I love to hate it. I love the fact that it, it is so unforgiving that if you don't do exactly what it wants you to, as it wants you to, it goes, nope, no further. You'll go no further than that. And I respect that it can do that. And like a, they called it a rhythm violence game when, they, when it came out. Pretty accurate. It's it's good. I have a few picks. I was torn a lot for my like my number one. It's probably Breath of the Wild, but in a very close second is Mario Odyssey. I absolutely love that game. I've been really hankering for a return to the sandbox style for a long time. I agree, yeah. Especially after 3D World, which I've talked with MD a lot, and I, I really dislike <laughs> that game. <laughs> I really like it. I like it. I love 3D World. I adore it. Lukewarm on it. I like 3D World, but I can understand the wanting to return to a bigger sort of sandbox structure like 64 and Sunshine, because I preferred that style of game to Galaxy. Yeah. Odyssey was a good return to form for me. I really enjoyed it. Not that Galaxy was bad, but like it wasn't what I wanted. No, yeah, I absolutely love Galaxy. Galaxy 1 and 2. Galaxy is amazing, but 3D World is kind of like the bits of Galaxy that people were lukewarm on. I never felt that at all. World presents a new idea at every level, which is really quite fun, but it's not as fun to replay, I wouldn't say because none of the mechanics are fully fleshed out. It's like, here's a taste of a mechanic, and then we don't really use it again, I feel. I can understand that. It's kind of like this way I feel about Donkey Kong Tropical Freeze, which is that it fleshes out its mechanics in Tropical Freeze by just integrating them with the main platforming stuff, whereas 3D World, like, you get a mechanic that isn't really related to how you play the rest of the game, and then it just drops it, and maybe it introduces it in one segment of, like, the last level of the game, but that's it. And I kind of I get that. I can understand why 3D World is a bit divisive. I have a few also like honorable mentions I just want to throw out there. Portal 2, mm, love that game. Yeah. Amazing writing. Forgot that came out this decade. Fun uh, puzzles, good shit. Super Meat Boy and Celeste are two amazing Twitch 2D platformers, which I love that genre. I loved Super Meat Boy, and it was one of my like most played games the year it came out, I would think. Celeste I've been playing recently, and I just feel like I don't want that kind of game anymore, because I can see that it's a good game, but like it just kind of frustrates me that it's like, yeah, okay, I'll jump exactly the way you want me to, and do this exact sequence of inputs that you want. I feel like Meat Boy was a bit more freeform than that, than what Celeste is, but I think it's just me. It's like, I, I don't want to play that type of game anymore i think celeste is pretty freeform until you get to like the b and c sides then it's really strict like you're mentioning yeah what we just talked about with 3d world and like the mechanics just being introduced and like kind of just thrown away is exactly how i felt about celeste yeah i remember you mentioned that i can see that yeah each world has its own little gimmick yeah i'll throw out loads of honorable mentions sonic and all-stars racing transformed yeah it's not as good as Crash Team Racing Nitro Fueled. Yeah, but that's not on PC, so I can't compare it. I played the original Crash Team Racing, and that was excellent. But I don't know if I don't know if a remake gets into my games of the decade when it's only good because the game it was remaking is good. It's changed so much, though. It's really good. It's got new modes. It's got new levels. It's got new characters. It's really good. Mario Kart 8 was this decade oh, as well, Mario Kart, wasn't it? Mario Kart 8 pales in comparison. I love Mario Kart 8. I don't know. I love it, but it's not as good. Hat and Time. I really enjoyed Hat and Time. Hat Time's great. Hat Time's good. I don't think it's better than Odyssey. Hat and Time does have mods, which is nice, and there, there's quite a lot of good mods. Me and Shiny played quite a few of them. Yeah, 
Yeah. I wouldn't say it's game of the decade level though. It was fun, but it it hasn't had a lasting impact on me. Yeah. You know what has a lasting impact on me? Jackbox games. Oh. Yeah, I was thinking about Jackbox games, and I think because they're such a mixed bag, like you can't take any one pack as like the game of the decade. But as a whole, like there's enough in there that like I'm gonna keep coming back to it and having fun with it. I just think, however good the game actually is, depends so much on who's playing it as well. Yeah, true. That you can't say that it's just a good game. Well, luckily, I keep good company, I guess. <laughs> If you haven't got Animich with you, then you're, you're running at like one or two points lower than it would be otherwise. Animich hates playing Jackbox. He does, but he's so good at them. It's because of the shitting in the bath thing, I think. He doesn't He doesn't need to divulge any more personal information. Excuse me? <laughs> That's the last time we played. We were playing one of the truth-telling games. Mitch, like had to come up with one truth and one lie about himself and the truth turned out to be that he had shat in the bath once and blamed his sister on it (laughs) and she took the rap for it apparently i will give an honorable mention to jackbox because there wasn't really anything like it before yes and it's a great thing to do particularly if you've got like a computer or a switch that 11 people or whatever can just join in for it's great yeah that said i feel like they've brought one out every year for a lot of years now and i can't help but feel a little bit like i've seen all of their best ideas yes yeah i feel like the newest ones are the better ones honestly four sucked but beyond that i mean your basic set of like fibbage and like drawful fibbage and quiplash and drawful are the simple concepts that really work those are the ones that resonate the most trivia murder party i think is up there too i like that one yeah yeah i like that one i feel like the newer ones have like games that are really good but you need like people like who are like willing to like learn it but whereas like the older ones had very simple games that you could play with pretty much anyone yes Madversity is my favorite Jackbox game. I will die on that hill. I don't care what anybody says. Goodbye. I like Madversity. I do actually really like the inventing one. I can't remember which one that is. Patently stupid is very good. Yeah. That is peak Jackbox for me. I'm hesitant to buy Jackbox games these days because I know one day the servers will no longer will no longer exist. Yeah, I do worry about that. Yeah, because there's no way to have the games work just like locally on your local network without a load of faffing. Like the way they do it is the only way you can do it. But uh... someone will come up with private servers. It's fine. Like it'll happen at some point. Yeah, I can't imagine a situation where that doesn't happen somehow. Yeah, I mean, we've got private servers for World of Warcraft, for RuneScape, for the entire DS library. And we. And we, yep. I need my shout-outs, my... my... R-Type final. Nope, that's not released this this decade, not even fucking close. Outrunners. (laughs) No, I will have to shout-out purely because I played 1,200 hours of it. Yes. And it was released in 2016, Titanfall 2 for being an outstanding first-person shooter where it had no right to be any good whatsoever. And that was lovely. That was a beautiful little surprise. Titanfall 2 is probably the best modern first-person shooter. It really is. Made by the people that made the original Call of Duty games. And they released DLC for it for free for about 18 months, which was wonderful. The only paid DLC was cosmetic and no one gave crap anyway. And it failed miserably and they're now stuck making Battle Royale games. I would like to also shout out last year for games that really should never have existed and had no right to exist and ended up being good, both from Capcom, Resident Evil 2 Remake and Devil May Cry 5, purely because 
they have no right to exist whatsoever, but they do, and they're both really excellent examples in their respective genres. Finally, Cuphead, which is a thing that exists and is good on all levels as far as I'm concerned. There's nothing that it does that's bad as far as I can tell. Bit stylish though, isn't it? <laughs> a little bit too stylish. As you say, a little bit too stylish. But that soundtrack is AAA fantastic and I could listen to it all the time and those visuals are amazing and there's so much attention paid to them and I enjoy Contra and similar games. So, yeah. I have a quick one for Dragon Quest XI that's all by. Dragon Quest XI was good. I played the demo and I enjoyed it. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> Do we want to crown Breath of the Wild? I think we all said good things about it. Is that our game of the decade? I think so. It seems pretty definitive. I think it's fair if I had to pick one. I have problems with it, but it's still excellent in every single way, pretty much. Oh, I've got problems with it, but it's still one of the only games from the last 10 years that I would happily go back and put another 100 hours into, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Surprising nobody, we all like Breath of the Wild on this Nintendo Zone. <laughs> Obviously, we didn't. We didn't pick PlayStation All Stars Battle Royale. You know why? Because we're biased. And also, shit. Excuse <laughs> me. <laughs> Not even I can deny PlayStation All Stars Battle Royale its rightful place in history. None of us said The Last of Us, guys. Come on, oh, The Last of Us. For good reason. There's not even any characters from The Last of Us in PlayStation All Stars Battle Royale. Nathan Drake's in it. He's not from The Last of Us. <laughs> he may as well be. He's the main guy in The Last of Us. <laughs> it's the same man. Sony has one character. Brown-haired man. Big Daddy was in it. Big Daddy. Or as I call him, Large Father. <laughs> <laughs> what have I got? This is a link I'm sending you to the Sully Cinematic Universe. Oh, God. Just please, um... <laughs> Please go there and report back for what you found. No, I'm not. I'm not getting involved with what? this. The Sun Cinematic Universe. Is this because he travels through various other universes in part of Monsters, Inc., and therefore it is theorized he could go to any universe? Oh, there's phase one, two, three, four, five, six. There's up to seven phases, for example. <laughs> Donkey Kong Country 3 Dixie's Double Trouble? Why? Keep in mind, guys, the bolded installments indicate heavy importance, so... <laughs> This is not real. This is a fan-made wiki for a cinematic universe regarding Sully from Monsters, Inc. None of this is based on any fact based on, like, Pixar movies or anything. It's just some guy writing shit. No, th he appears in some of them. Mario Pissing 2016. <laughs> <laughs> He definitely appears in that. According to this, the season five of SpongeBob SquarePants is non-canon, but all the other seasons are. <laughs> <laughs> Sully 69, the nice one. I wish you'd given us some kind of advance notice on this, Catman, because I would have done some research and I would have come with something to say, but right now I just am speechless. So basically... The Sultastic Sullies are a noble, heroic team of vigilantes dedicated to helping the universe and the outer multiverse. Their main modes of transportation are a Ford Model A, a submarine, and a spaceship. They are led and were founded by James P. Sullivan and include, according to this, Squidward, Robot Jones, Samurai Jack, Snake, Mr. Bill and his little dog Spot, Brack, but only in the post-Dreamscape arc. 
This organization was founded on December 25th, 2013 and was dissolved in 2019, but only in the alternate timeline in which it was undone by Mike in Sully 218, which is the epic conclusion to both the Laramore saga and phase four of the Sully cinematic universe. What the absolute fuck? This is about how I picture the third Chrono game to have gone, quite honestly. <laughs> Jesus. When it says Sully 218, is that because there are multiple Sully worlds? Like how we refer to Marvel like continuities as Marvel 616 and stuff like that. No, no, no. This is episode 218 of Sully. Oh. And this page has a multiple page long description of the episode. <laughs> a sad, depressing version of If I Didn't Have You serves as the film's theme. Stan Lee makes a cameo after Mark kills Laramore in 2018. He walks by and comments to Mike, must have been a really bad dog. <laughs> Due to Laramore being killed in 2018, all of his massacres and atrocities were undone, including the destruction of Earth, GW2011. God... Apparently, Stanley filmed 30,000 films worth of cameos prior to his death, so he'll keep making cameos in the SCU. So it's pretty exciting. The Cyborg Lee is currently in development. <laughs> There's a page for Big Weld from Robots, and it says that he has not only fully harnessed the powers of the Infinity Gauntlet, but he's also harnessed the powers of Chaos Emeralds, Dragon Balls, the Ultra Scream Canister, and the Cursed Object from My Hero Academia Battle for All for Nintendo 3DS. <laughs> I hate this so much. It's so specific. I just want to give a shout out to the Mothra series. Sully has appeared in Rebirth of Mothra, Rebirth of Mothra 2, and Rebirth of Mothra 3. <laughs> on wikis like this, I like to just go to random pages. I'm currently on the page for the baby from Full House. What is it? Does it say anything significant <laughs> about the, the baby, baby from Full House? Wait, wait, wait. It improves. The baby from Full House is a god controlling the Pluriverse and the final villain of the Sully franchise. <sighs> More will be revealed in a future Sully installment. Ooh, teasing You us. got it, dude. <laughs> There's 270 pages of this. Michael Wazowski, aliases, Mikey, Googly Bear, Coach, Uncle Mike, and Hentai Master 420. <laughs> Hentai Mike! <laughs> there he is! Hentai <laughs> Mike! Our good friend. After leaving China, Mike Wazowski gets hungry, so he goes to the chip shop to get some chips. But one of the employees at the chip shop told Mike that were no more chips left and that's the plot of one of the movies so i think we should watch it sometime i've just got to planet snoopy it's a planet entirely populated by beagles that look like snoopy and birds that look like woodstock it is an important location in the planet sluggo saga more will be revealed in a future sally installment sluggo is lit Princess Peach's castle was destroyed in a terror attack by a limited edition buzz lightyear <laughs> Toad died in the initial attack, but came back to life after being banished from purgatory. Where do you keep finding this bullshit? I was googling the dad from Dexter's lab because I wanted to hear which episode he said, Ah, yes. Saturdays, Saturdays are, are made, made for, dads. for dads. And this is what I found. <laughs> this was like the first thing that came up. The movie Cars on VHS is one of the rarest items in the Sully cinematic universe. Only 25 copies were known to be made, and only one has been cited in the wild. It is rumoured <laughs> that a cult-like organisation known as the VHS Gang has 24 of the 25 known copies of the VHS in their possession. Sully 150 is the 150th episode of the Sully Cinematic Universe. It is notable for being the final film with the Rortastic Randalls until Sully 200. 
It also teases the Lightyear arc. On every page, it says, as always, Stan Lee makes a cameo. (laughs) (laughs) I also need to mention how many illegitimate children this wiki implies exist. Like, at least every character in Monsters, Inc. has over 100 illegitimate children, according to this wiki. Wow, okay. I've just found a page about the Pycru virus, which was a deadly virus created by Sluggo and transmitted to Earth via an asteroid. The virus <laughs> gradually transforms its hosts into beings that look immensely similar to each other, but maintaining different clothing. <laughs> Topical. Mike gets infected and transforms, but then transforms back to himself thanks to an N64 controller pack. What? The N64 controller pack can cure the virus. I mean, that's basically what happened with Donkey Kong 64, so... (laughs) I'm going to read out Mike Wazowski's children. Oh no. Children created as a result of time travel are noted as such. Andy Davis, time travel. Squishy Squabbles, time travel. Reginald Scar, time travel. Elmo, time travel. General Zod, time travel. Kazooie, biological daughter. Homestar Runner, biological son. Cotton Hill, biological son plus time travel al mcwiggin time travel mr clean time travel mr dirty time travel garfield time travel evil mr clean brackets son due to some shared dna close brackets demon mike son drooper's unnamed father and the last bullet point simply says billions more it then lists Hank Hill as his grandson. I just had a thought, like, I was thinking about Christian, and I was thinking maybe like how in the Lovecraftian sort of mythos there are multiple elder gods. In our universe, there are multiple Christian entities, and we are only aware of Christian because we don't have enough insight to see the others yet. I think Saltastic Sully is one crazy person's attempt at like parodying comic book lore about how like all comic books are written by different people but at some point they're all like oh this is now in the same universe as this and there's a thousand different timelines in which every installment is written and such and such you know what i mean so you think this is parody rather than i don't know what to call this insanity this is definitely parody i mean i hope it's not parody i hope this is just somebody's mad creation but There is no single piece of text that you can point to on this that actually shows that it's parody. Let's see. Big world. Species robot. Gender male. Height huge. Weight absolute unit. (laughs) Quotes. Die, blue fuckos. See, I think it is parody because I'm currently on the Mike 11 page and Dexter's dad makes a cameo and says, ah, yes, Saturdays are made for it, but then gets caught off by Mike's dick squishing his car. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad you found this because I was hoping we could find more weird wikis to talk about, like the Fat World wiki that we talked about that time as well. Oh my god. (laughs) Forgot about that. So if you'd like to check this wiki out for yourself, just go to sullycinematicuniverse.fandom.com and just read the whole thing from start to finish. I just want to read one more. It's an episode that's set directly after Sully 184, which was called Mike's Inside Story. This is Mike 3, Mike Gets a Vasectomy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. 
Dude, what are the Mike episodes? They're crazy. <laughs> Fans have described it as a tale that is too emotionally traumatizing, more so than a Holocaust movie. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Jesus fucking wept. Notes. The title is a lie. <laughs> <sighs> what? The title is a lie. Mike does not get a vasectomy. <laughs> I hate clickbait. <laughs> According to this, Linus Tech Tips is Mike Wazowski's great-grandson, and he's married to a Samsung OLED 4K Ultra HD smart TV. <laughs> what the fuck? That explains so much. Okay, okay, let's move on before this consumes the entire podcast. Wow! Who here has played either of the Ori games? I know I have Shiny has, Cat's Me. has. Nope. I've played the first one. I played the first one and it's stylish and that's about it. It's a bit stylish. It's a bit it's too stylish. stylish, isn't it? I'll go with MD on that. It's stylish and it doesn't have quite enough substance to back that style up. I would completely agree. It's a fine game. It doesn't do anything really impressive. It doesn't do anything really shitty other than the fact that it's so stylish it's very hard to see when you're attacking enemies sometimes because there's particle effects out the ass. It's just very eh for me. I would say the one impressive thing it does is I think the bash mechanic is very, very good and it kind of carries the game. Yeah. I think the bash mechanic in Ori 1 is good, but often the levels are structured in such a way that enemies don't attack you at the right times for you to be able to use the bash to platform correctly. And so you end up yeah. retrying several times one section that you should only need to do once because you know what to do. It's just you can't get the projectile to line up with where you need to go. The thing about RE1 is that Bash, it kind of works for half the game. Like, they get a good half of a game out of it, and then the rest of the game is just padding. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about RE2, because while it is definitely not perfect, everything they've changed about the game has been a either small to large improvement. First playing it, my first impression was... They they just made Hollow Knight. <laughs> they, they stole they Hollow a Knight. lot of ideas from Hollow Knight, but they stole a lot of good ones. Yes. Yes. How was it like Hollow Knight? So in Ori 1, your main attack is like you have this little wisp that follows you around and you just mash the X button and it shoots lasers at the closest enemy. In Ori 2, you have a sword and then later on you can get a hammer and other weapons and stuff as well. So initially the combat has changed to be more Hollow Knight-esque. The combat is not as in-depth, not as difficult, and I would say not as good as Hollow Knight, but it's much better than in Ori 1. Ori 1 didn't have combat, and the combat that it did have was like avoiding enemies. That was the idea. Whereas this game has combat, and I do think the combat in this game is kind of F, but people seemed to really want it, so whatever. I was fine just with the traversal, and I was fine with not having boss fights, just the escape sequences. I much prefer them, but I know everyone was like, why doesn't it have combat? And now it has combat. I've enjoyed the bosses that we have for... Me and Shiny have been playing it together. We've not finished it yet. We're getting close to the end, I think. But the bosses have been all right, haven't they? That spider boss pissed me off. For people who have played RE1 and not RE2, it fixes basically everything that's wrong with the original game. Yes. First off, it drops that horrible save state checkpoint system and just puts normal checkpoints in instead, which is much better in my opinion. It steals a lot of ideas from Breath of the Wild and also from Hollow Knight. It steals the progression, like the way you get abilities, 
with currency. It steals the charm system. It steals Terrytown from Breath of the Wild. It does. Yes, yeah. it does. There's just an area of the game where you get collectibles in the game and you use those collectibles to make it like a nice place. And it's so good. And it's lovely. I've never felt more incentivized to collect shit in a game than this one because I would be able to spend them on the town and be like, oh, look, I've built more houses. Isn't that wonderful? Even though it has no gameplay benefit at all. Uh, it does. It does. When you construct new houses and things, you can access new areas in that hub, which then gets you access to new badges and stuff that you can equip. True. So it is worth doing. Shiny, you really loved the town, didn't you? Yes, it's comfy. It's very nice to have just like that little safe haven in the middle of the rest of the game. I just, I like creating little towns and stuff like that. I think it's a nice little thing. I feel like every game should have a Tarry Town. It's, it's yes. really good. I completely agree. Tarry Town is the best part of Breath of the Wild, so. Uh, no. <laughs> it's probably my favorite quest within the game itself. It's my favorite side quest. It's a good little quest. At the end of the day, it's just a little town with some village, with like some shops. It's not. Yeah, but it's the one that you made. All the other good things in Breath of the Wild, Cherry Town is not even in the top 10, I would say. But it is cute and it's nice I'll to have. I'll put it up there just for the music. Because the music is... Oh, it's a good song, yeah. Good song, yeah. One of the best. The visuals are gorgeous, obviously. The game runs quite well on modest PCs, with one exception, which is that it takes ages to load. Did anyone else have this? It ran perfectly, but it took ages to load, and when you go into a new area, the game visibly stutters quite a lot. I don't remember anything like that, but my computer is, one, built like in the last year to maximum spec, and two, has an NVMe card in, so it's got pretty fast like load rates yeah i was gonna say i think they only tested this game on ssds because i installed it to my hard drive and it was slow as hell also on a technical note the page on steam says it needs windows 10 this is a lie it runs on windows 7 and up just in case Good. just in case you don't have windows 10 that is a lie i wonder if that's maybe why it's taken so long to load for you then maybe there's some kind of optimization on mm, no it's just a unity game the reason is that microsoft doesn't officially support windows 7 anymore and it's published by microsoft but it's made in unity oh okay that makes sense the thing that I most like about this game is I've played a few Metroidvanias. I'm not the biggest buff on the genre, but I've played a few. This is the only Metroidvania I've played where I have not got lost for one second. And it's not because the game holds your hand too much and tells you, you need to go here, you need to go here. It gives you options for where to go and makes it obvious how you can get to them in such a way that you never are stuck and having to backtrack and go like, oh, where do I need to go? Where's that next power up I need? Uh, which I've really enjoyed i might be in the minority about this but i actually like that about metroidvanias yes i was about to say the reason that this game doesn't do that is because it basically has a small foresty central hub in the middle and then all of the more difficult areas actually kind of go outwards in like a linear progression and i found that kind of underwhelming i would rather have had a big more interconnected maze that i had to find my way around that's the dark souls approach is to have the hub and then have spokes and as you progressively go out each spoke it gets progressively more difficult if they took a lot from hollow knight they probably took quite a bit of that as well to be honest with you yeah, yeah. i like both approaches i think they have different merits mm. but i have really enjoyed just exploring but not feeling lost so it is yes. it's definitely very good for that it didn't feel very non-linear 
to me, but it did feel like I spent a lot of time going back to earlier areas with new abilities. But when you do that, it's only to get bonuses. There's very few points in the game when you have to go back to an old area with a new ability to actually progress. That suits me better, mm. definitely. It reduces the amount of frustration I would feel of getting stuck or having to backtrack. And we've done two, maybe three of the main spokes. I think we've got one or two of the major sort of bits left to do before we unlock the ending. And yeah, I've really enjoyed it. It's it's nice how it gives you like a percentage explored as well when you're in an area so you can tell how much stuff you're missing. Mm. And it highlights anything you find on the map, even if you haven't picked it up, if you've seen it in game, it highlights it on the map so you can remember where it is, which again is nice for me because in Hollow Knight, I didn't realize I could mark the map for ages and I got completely lost of like where anything was so yeah i i like that i feel like there's a sliding scale with metroidvania games between guiding you and making sure that you a don't get lost and b don't have to backtrack too much and like the other end of the spectrum which is like a lamulan where it tells you fucking nothing and you have to work it all out yourself through the contextual clues in the game i can understand why you probably like something more like the the guided semi-guided end of the spectrum i think that's fine my opinion on this is that Super Metroid strikes the best balance. Yes. Castlevania Symphony of the Night isn't a good Metroidvania mm. because the critical path is really obscure and all the optional paths that you don't have to go down are really obvious. Yep. That buggers up the leveling system and that buggers up all the progression in the game. But it has one really cool idea, which is a really long horizontal area that goes the entire width of the map. Yes. Because that makes it really easy to to have a really big, dense, interconnected map. But you can always just go back to that corridor and walk to wherever it is in the game you need to be. Like, it's easy to traverse. I wish more Metroidvania games had that. Then Symphony of the Night is held back by the atrociously slow movement speed and the fact that you have to clear every room when you go back into it again because enemies are just in the way down that giant corridor. I didn't mind that. Inverted Castle takes that game from like a 10 out of 10 to like a 7 for me. I enjoyed the Inverted Castle, but it only took about like 10% of the total time I spent in the game. Yes. Because I just went round it in one loop and obliterated everything. I feel like it's supposed to feel like a victory lap more than like the second half of the game. By the time you get there, you already have all of the kind of traversal options in order to actually do it. So it um, it becomes very much a, okay, well, where the fuck am I going now within the, the inverted castle? No idea whatsoever. In terms of traversal options, Ori 2 adds a few extra things. So you've still got the bash, which you get fairly early on. You have a dash, which I think was present in Ori 1, but me and Shiny never unlocked yeah, it because we didn't really explore. Yeah. yeah. You get a like grappling mechanic that lets you zip to enemies and to certain like environmental things as well. And you can use that to sling yourself around. That's really good. Because it's like the dash, but it operates from far away. Yeah. We haven't talked about the best thing about Ori, which is the movement system. The movement system is still brilliant. Yeah. The play control is pretty much flawless. They give you so many options. They always find new things to do with it. It's always interesting. It's rarely overwhelming, except in one area, which I won't spoil, but you basically get the ability to burrow through sand. <laughs> and while burrowing through sand is really cool, they give you the sand equivalent of the bash attack, but it's on the right bumper instead of the left bumper, and it completely broke my muscle memory, and I died like a hundred times. 
other than that, the movement is just excellent. I didn't have any problems with the sand dash, and I thought the sand area was interesting. And we got there before we got the ability to swim, I think. Yeah, we did a lot of playing the game without actually progressing the story, just exploring things for quite a long time. We reached a dead end, and it was like, oh, this must be where the end of the game is. But we had gained abilities from doing that, so it didn't feel like it was a waste. Yeah, the abilities, if you get them in the different spokes, you can use those to take take shortcuts and get secrets in the main area which is cool yeah and that stuff is kind of required i think because by the time you're getting to the end of the game you should definitely have like maxed out like all of your badges and things i think the traversal in this is really fun with the badges you can equip you get options to do stuff like grapple to enemies options to like make bash do damage to enemies there's an attack you can do that you can then bash yourself off to launch yourself as well if you throw a fireball up Mm, in the air which is used quite heavily in in the traversal as well Mm. and you don't need to use it for a lot of the stuff but it'll make a lot of the platforming easier so depending on when you get it you might be able to use that in other areas and it all fits together nicely so that no matter where you are in the game you'll have additional powers that make the area you're in easier if you have a think about it did anyone else get kind of pissed off by the story Mm -hmm. so far where we've been it's been all right i'm bored by when the game slows you down and makes you walk but i hate walkie talkie sections in any video game Here's the problem, right? RE1, it had this really kind of like cute story about little forest creatures, and it was simple and it was effective. Bye! Bye, Bran! Goodbye, Bran. See ya. Don't die out there. Wait, where are you going? He lives- Bran, don't leave the house! He lives in New York City, oh my god. Bran, stay inside! <laughs> Everyone, remember, remain indoors. I am remaining indoors. Good. Thank God. <laughs> We saved a life there, everyone. We saved a life. Everybody pat yourselves on the back and clap. After you clap, wash your hands. Wash your hands. Wash your hands. Clap, then wash your hands. Clap while the water is running over your hands. Everyone, remain indoors. (laughs) I've forgotten what the fuck I was saying. Uh, You were talking about the story and how you didn't like it. I didn't like the story the first one. I thought it was stupid. Well, I thought it was fun, but Ori 2 feels like it's desperately trying to like recapture the same feeling that the first one had but in this game it just comes off as like insincere i just didn't like it i thought the first one was fucking stupid it was like why did the big tree just put out the big shock waves and kill everything why did you do that like there was no reason there was no reason i mean it's just trying to be like a studio ghibli thing there was no reason and he killed like we were the bad guy yeah we were the bad guy all along it's stupid and now in this one, I can understand like the, the antagonist thing. It's really sad. I gave up on video game stories a long time ago. I don't particularly care about the story in Ori. The first game story was definitely stupid. I thought it was ridiculous um, and it was just bad. I'm invested in the redemption arc of the baddie. I think this one is better than the first one in terms yes. of story, but I don't care about it. If you liked Ori 1 you should get this one. If you didn't like Ori 1, you should consider this one. If you've never played Ori, skip Ori 1 and start with this one. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Ori 1 is not worth playing. It's not a bad game, but it's not worth playing. Ori 2 is a must play for me. I'll add it to the list. You'd like it, Moogle. I'll wait for the Switch for it. It might come out on Switch. They released the original on Switch, right? Yeah, it probably will, I imagine. I can imagine it probably will.
American theme park opens 3D ride of Princess Diana's death. Yes! More <laughs> Diana! Yes! I found this because I was Googling that Princess Diana PS3 theme that we talked about on the last podcast. This was opened in May 2019, I think. Oh my god, I could have gone if I didn't wait. <laughs> Tyra Banks was making like a model theme park. I don't know, I gotta pick between the two, I guess. A theme park in the US is turning Princess Diana's fatal car crash into a tourist attraction. <laughs> a new ride will allow guests God to experience the crash via a 3D computer model as if they're traveling through the Parisian tunnel themselves. At the end of the ride, guests will get to vote in a poll on whether they believe the royal family was involved in the collision. <laughs> I fucking love it. Yes! I love it! I love it! Of course this was in Tennessee. If enough people vote yes, will they put the royal family away? What do you think? Yes. Yes. Excellent. I feel like this is a missed opportunity. Like we should have a like a crazy taxi style game, but for Princess Diana. <laughs> <laughs> Do you play as the person driving Diana or as the person assassinating her? It's two player asymmetric multiplayer. So one oh, person's God. trying to drive <laughs> Diana around and one person is trying to kill her. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Jesus fucking wept. I was thinking like some surprise like plot twist secret ending where like you get a perfect in the main game and then your character just like drives into a tunnel and then just black in a car crash. I don't have anything to say about this other than I would go there if it wasn't in Tennessee. Honestly, that's how I feel too and I'm closer, so. Here's the thing. Americans don't know anything about this, really. It's like the one bit of British culture that they're probably interested in. So if you could just be like, you know what, we know that they won't read anything, so we'll make a theme park attraction so that they can learn about it. Is there really anything wrong with that? Other than the interactive thing where you vote on whether the royals did it or not? <laughs> That's not the only question as well. It says they also ask other things like, do you think she was pregnant? <laughs> Why is this just a speculating on Princess Diana theme? There's no blood, there's none of that. You see the car crash through computer animation. You'll be polled on what you believe was the cause of her death and who was behind it. We ask questions like, do you think the royals were involved? Do you think she was pregnant? All we do is ask questions on what's your opinion? It's more disrespectful to pretend that you're being respectful. <laughs> yes. It's definitely not in poor taste. It's just showing the root of what happened. Mm-hmm. 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 Well, I hope you can continue bringing us updates on Princess Diana-related media specs. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I I hope we can follow up on that too. If I ever get a chance to like go there, if I under, ever end up in Tennessee, I will let you guys know. On that note, people who live in, uh, oh God, where is it? Where is Garfield Eats? Garfield Eats, Jesus Oh Christ. my God, Garfield Eats. It's in Toronto. I put this out. If anyone knows anyone who lives in Toronto or near Toronto or is going to Toronto, I will pay. <laughs> I personally will pay for your lunch at Garfield Eats if you bring us back a review. A 3D hentai cam girl is taking over Chatterbait and human models are worried. Project Melody says she's an AI embodiment of an anime cam model and has amassed thousands of followers in just three days of streaming. I found this interesting since we're sort of a loosely technology-based podcast. Someone has just, like, done a full 3D model rig of an anime girl that they are using, I guess, motion capture to perform on Chatterbait, which is a porn webcam 
paid site thing. I'm in two minds about this because I think it's a bit of a shitty thing to do for some guy who's made a rig to be taking away the income of other people on Chatterbait by making this thing. Having said that, when we talked about this before, Specs, you said there is actually a model that's doing the the moving. From what I understand, someone has to be like playing the part of the character at all times, mm-hmm. and it has a female voice. So either there is a separate person like doing the dancing, or it's just a woman or a guy with a with a voice changer, I suppose, acting as this anime girl and um, have. Have you ever heard of cam girl pornography? Cam girl <laughs> pornography. I was going to ask that question. God, I hate this. Fucking damn it! What you do is you can get a webcam and you point it at yourself, and and people will watch the video of this while they'll egg you on by giving you money, basically, as you cl- take your clothes off. Stop giving Randy Pitchford money. Stop it now. <laughs> I was a consumer of this content. This is basically just the Black Mirror episode anyway. Isn't this an episode of Futurama? Or am I misremembering that? Probably. There's an episode where Fry starts dating a clone of Lucy Liu. There's a Gravity Falls episode where Seuss starts dating his computer. Oh, I love that episode. I get what you're saying, Shiny. Like, this is taking revenue from real women, but there might be a real woman behind this who has put in a lot of work to make this. That's what I'm saying. I'm kind of in two minds about it. It depends who is getting the benefit of it, really. Yeah. And also, if you're a person who is looking at anime sexy ladies, then you're probably not that interested in real ones anyway. I'm wondering how many people have like moved from real women to this versus people who just heard about this and started looking at it because mm-hmm. they're into anime girls. The argument that the other cam girls make is that obviously you don't have to like smile or anything and you don't have to appear sort of as upbeat as you would if you were a real person because like it's got a pasted on face. <laughs> you don't have to put yourself together as much like you've not got to do your makeup or your work. hair or anything like that which is a lot of work to okay be fair. nobody tell charlie brooker please for the love of god let's keep this under wraps <laughs> i do not need another bad series of black mirror but at the same time this is basically what kazuna i is doing for video games but for porn so uh, is this the rise of the uh, the v porner what what Vcam girl, VTuber is what they call call Kazuna I a, a VTuber. Virtual video game players. I have no idea what you're talking about. People who get like a webcam set up and like rig the animation of an anime girl to their body and uh, get the voice. Like fake face cam. Okay. It's Japanese girls doing it. That one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know the one. Kazuna I, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. That one. I feel old listening to this. I feel old. You feel old. You, we, we are old. I feel like the the times have passed me by. In terms of just the character herself as well, anytime anyone does an interview with the character Project Melody, she stays in character. So she like refers to herself as Melody and says, if people ask like where the idea to make a virtual cam girl came from, she's like, oh, I was infected by a computer virus and that made me really, really horny <laughs> and stuff like that. So it's quite a fun little 
little thing. Yeah, fun. <laughs> so I think it sounds kind of bleak. This is the future. Where you don't watch real people. Because mm. you know, this time three years from now, there'll be a thousand of them being cranked out by some company somewhere. Yeah. That's true. We'll go from playing video games to watching people play video games to watching <laughs> people who aren't actually people play video games. People are reacting to people playing video games. It'll basically be a video game playing a video game. Yes. And there's going to be other video games pretending to be people watching with you. Oh my god. You know, I think if it ever comes to that, we should do a commentary of this podcast on this podcast. The thing is, it's like how Fortnite Season 2 lost so many players that they added bots to Fortnite so that like it doesn't seem like there's fewer players than there are. Mm. With how many people are going to die from the coronavirus, <laughs> we need these virtual cam girls to fill in for all the porn stars who are dying right now. Of You can work from home as a porn star. If you want to do hardcore, then they can't stay two meters away from each other. They're going to be spreading it. You can just use a really long stick. There's no condom for coronavirus. I'm initiating a new round of Find the Fuckle. Can you explain the rules to me? I don't know what you're talking about. Find the Fuckle is a little game in which you all have to answer questions about video games. Except for one of you who is the Fuckle, and that person must deliberately answer them wrong. At the end of the game, you'll be scored and you need to get positive points in order to win, the fuckle needs you to have negative points in order to win. And at the end of the game, the rest of the players will have to decide who they think the fuckle is. And if they decide correctly, they get a big point bonus. How are you deciding the fuckle? I will pick the fuckle randomly, and then I will send them a private message as we are not all in the same room. We are over the internet, which is how you should be, dear listeners at home. <laughs> Remain indoors. <laughs> Please wash your hands. I have now sent off the message to the fuckle. No conferring. The first person to shout out an answer, that answer will be recorded. The fuckle is supposed to get the wrong answers, but also try and evade detection. Okay, we'll begin. Question number one. How many Bubsy games are there? Too many. That is the correct answer. <laughs> that is correct ethically, but I'm not going to give you the point. Four. There's four Bubsy games. The first answer was wrong. The correct answer was six. I wouldn't know the answer to that question, so... Who are the additional robot masters in the PSP version of Mega Man? Oil Man. Time Man and Oil Man, yeah. Specs is correct. And Moogle, I think, said the same thing. I said Oil Man, yeah. And we both got one or two of them. What shitty-ass stage did they bring back for Sonic Mania? Crisis City! Crisis City! Sonic Mania. Oh shit, sorry. Lava Reef! I have to take your first answer, which was Crisis City, which is incorrect. Ooh. Fuck, I was thinking about Generations, uh -huh. I'm sorry. Was Lava Reef correct? No, it was Oil Ocean. Oil Ocean? Oh, fuck you! True. <laughs> True. Oil Ocean is a bad stage. Stop. They brought back a lot of bad stages. Is Oil Ocean a good stage? No. No. Oil Ocean's a fine stage. Honestly, you could have picked half the stages they brought back in that game. Yeah, they didn't bring back the best stages. No, they didn't. But like Lava Reef and stuff that they brought back, when they brought it back, it was a lot better than the original stage, whereas Oil Ocean... They picked awful stages, but they made them amazing, so... Oil Ocean is a bad stage because it's like, now you're going to stop and wait for this platform to go up. The entire level is just run to a wall stop go up run to a wall next question what is the name of the shark from jaws the shark that fought the law <laughs> oh no i've not played it i cannot remember this i'm not answering 
Nobody answers. That's because we don't have Animich here. Clearly, the shark's name is Bruce. He is the shark that everyone saw. Okay, uh, what did Graham say if he said thanks to him? Um. Oh, Huck. Did he say whoa there? No. That's if you love him. That's if you say that you love him. I have uh, to accept that as your first answer. Graham, in fact, yeah, sorry, said, Ray. I deliver the goods. Oh, of course he did. <laughs> I deliver the goods. Next question. What did Ultima 9 Ascension legally change Pat Guy's name to? P-Guy. Specs is correct. Yeah, that's a good one. What is the Deus Ex slash System Shock meme password? Ooh. Smash the state. No, that is not correct. It is 0451. Four, five, one. In basically all of those games, there is at least one key code somewhere that's always 0451. Interesting. It's like a little weird in-joke. Where is Baldur's Gate set? Well... Eladriel? What? Eladriel? I'm just saying something vaguely. Is is this not a trick? Is it not set in Baldur's Gate? I mean, where is Baldur's Gate? Baldur's Gate is on the Sword Coast. You know what? I've I've written Forgotten Realms here, but the Sword Coast, I will give you that because it is, isn't it? Yeah, I'm playing a module right now that's set on the Sword Coast and I was in Baldur's Gate a couple of months ago. Where is Bubble Bubble set? Oh. Where do the Bubble Dragons journey to? No. It's the Cave of Monsters. Cave of... Really? Mm-hmm. At the start of every game, it says, Let us journey to the Cave of Monsters. Where is Disco Elysium set? Revishol. He's correct. How many looms are there in Rayman 2? 1,000 or 999, depending on when you are in the game. Yeah, I will give you that. What weapon do you start with in Doom 2016? Pistol. MD is incorrect. It is the shotgun. No, it's... Wait. No. Oof. Sorry. Sorry, that's Doom Eternal. In 2016, it is a pistol. Uh, my answer is incorrect, so I'll give you the point for that. Final question, and I have to tell you now, you're on zero points, so this could really go either way. How am I How points? Are, I've answered so many questions correctly. You lose 10 points for an incorrect answer. Oh, you only oh, have fuck. to get positive points to win. Okay. Which Nintendo console do I have on a shelf in my living room? Oh, fuck. Oh! I have to accept MD's answer, which is incorrect. It's a GameCube. It's a GameCube. MD's the fucker. Of course it's a GameCube. So we're now at the end of the game, and you have a score of negative 10 points. You will win if you can determine who the fuckle is. You will lose if you cannot. So I ask you now, who is the fuckle? Shiny has said nothing this entire game. I think she is the fuckle because... She has said something. I've tried to answer the questions. I tried to answer the ones I thought I knew the answers to, which was virtually none of them. So, Shiny got a question wrong about Graham, which does make me suspicious. Well, no, nobody could remember. She gave a good answer for Graham, I would say. Tennis, I didn't remember. I think it's anybody but me. (laughs) Well, I got the most correct answers, Mm -hmm. but on balance, I probably got quite a few wrong answers, but I thought they were correct. Specs is, I don't think, is the fuckle. I don't think Specs is fuckle. It could be Moogle because he hesitated after Oil Man. He's the only one of us that's played that game, I think. You didn't give me chance to answer. I said Oil Man as you were saying Time Man. Yeah, but you could have intentionally got the wrong one for the yeah, second but I bit. You didn't give me the chance. I think it was Moogle, personally. MD mm. threw out a just random name of a thing for the Baldur's Gate question, which may have been because he thought he could get away with it because he thought no one else would know it. He also answered immediately on the what is the thing in Catsman's room when he's never been to Catsman's yeah. room before. But he also got the Doom question right, which is good. He did. 
I think it's shiny. Mm. I think you underestimate just how erratic I am. I'm not in the same room as shiny. I can't <laughs> do a sideways glance at her to see if she's giggling <laughs> at me. Shiny, are you giggling right now? No, I'm not. Are you shiny, are you giggling right now? I'm not. I think it's MD. Are you having a giggle, mate? You're having a fucking mm. laugh, mate. For me, it's either shiny or MD, and I'm not sure who. I also think that it is either shiny. I don't think it's specs. Specs answer too many questions correctly. Yeah, you answer too many right. I think it's shiny. I think it's Moogle. I'm going to need your votes, I think, because you can't reach a consensus. Specs, I think we can swim this one way or the other. I vote Moogle. Do you want MD or do you want shiny? M. Oh. MD, I think. Guys, no, come on. I point the fuckle finger at fuckle MD. Moogle and Shiny, are you also pointing the fuckle finger? Yeah, I'm saying it's MD. Are you being singled out for my nationality? (laughs) I think it could be Shiny. Could be. You need to make a choice. I'm gonna need an answer from you, Moogle. And we'll go with what specs is then. Okay. MD then, yeah. Fuckle, please reveal yourself. I talked myself out of it. You talked yourself out of that one. I didn't even have to answer anything wrong on purpose. You did it all for me. What question? Oh, it was the GameCube one where Shiny went, ooh, and then shut up because she realized she wasn't supposed to give the correct answer. (laughs) And then immediately yelled it after (laughs) you got it wrong because I knew it didn't matter. I hope you're all happy. I'm sorry, MD. Threw MD under the bus there. The Sonic movie is the most, not most commercially successful, but it's it's the biggest box office opening for a video game movie of all time. That does not speak to its quality. I think that speaks to the fact that it was released on Valentine's Day on a national holiday in America. But it outsold Detective Pikachu at the box office, which is not a mean feat, I would say. Bullshit. Shouldn't have happened. Do you dislike the Sonic movie or do you just like Detective Pikachu more? It's fine. But it's not that great. Like, it's got a couple of jokes which I thought were good. I fucking hate Jim Carrey in it. He's awful. Really? He I, en- not good. I enjoyed Jim Carrey in the movie. I cannot no. stand his Eggman. No, he's not funny. He's just a nasty bastard. I thought his Eggman was pretty funny, not gonna lie. No, no we just found him nasty. He's just He just belittles people the whole film and it's not funny. Yeah, yeah he does it in a not funny way. He's just a bit of a prick. So I'm like, I don't like him at all. It reminds me of him in The Grinch. <laughs> See, I like him in The no, Grinch. No, he's good in The Grinch, but he's meant to be like that the Grinch. That's the character of the Grinch. Sonic the Hedgehog is an okay movie that has a few good uh, jokes in it, but doesn't isn't spectacular. That's all it can be said. I liked it more than I thought I would, but it's not a good... It's not what you want to do with a Sonic movie. Like, it centers around humans too much rather than what Sonic's doing and, like... <sighs> I feel like that happens in a lot of Sonic media that isn't video games. That's true. And there is video games. All of the jokes that made me laugh were just really weird, like, left-field lines, like non-sequiturs, which is just my sense of humour, but... There's the crazy guy in the town who um, says that there's the blue devil and he draws, like, the picture of it and it's that picture. Yes. This movie doesn't have that many, like, Sonic memes in it, but I did think that that was actually funny and didn't come off as cringy. That was funny. Yeah, yeah, he, that was he a good draws Sanic the Hedgehog. I think it has been released digitally now because of coronavirus, so you can watch it at home. It's, yeah, it was, yeah. If you like Sonic, 
it's worth watching, I'd say, but it's it's not worth a second watch. My main problem is that the emotional core of the movie, which is supposedly about Sonic making friends with a cop, for me just didn't I didn't find it interesting or sincere. There is no reason for the cop to like Sonic as much as he does, because Sonic is basically Bubsy in this film. He's like intentionally annoying. He's a closet furry. And the cop's like, oh, he's annoying. Isn't that adorable? And I'm like, no, he's a nuisance. Uh, meow. <laughs> it, Matt, yeah, all of his dialogue is like that. I don't know how old Sonic is supposed to be, but I always imagine... 16, I imagine I Sonic is a, like a teenager, but he talks like an eight-year-old who learned to make a lot of pop culture jokes by watching Family Guy. That's true. It's weird how they didn't get Sonic's real voice as well. They got, like, some guy. <laughs> Sorry, it's Sonic's real voice, the guy who goes, what is that smell? Smells like trash. <laughs> well, at the moment, it's Chris Redfield, actually, but they could have got, like, an existing Sonic voice so it didn't sound a bit uncanny valley with someone, like, impersonating the usual Sonic voice. The voice was fine. The thing that didn't convince me was the CG, actually. Obviously, they fixed the character design, but the CG in this looked a lot cheaper than Detective Pikachu did. He didn't blend into the world very well. I felt like he really stuck out and looked like an effect, whereas in Detective Pikachu, they did a lot more with like the lighting and, and making them interact with things in the world that made them look like they're actually there. There's a big plot point in the movie as well where they go to San Francisco because Sonic's dropped his magical rings through a portal that ended up over San Fran and they do not run down a big hill <laughs> in San Francisco at any point in the film and I was like... Why even bother? They literally just drop into the top of the building and then leave. That's the only... I was going to say, like, I thought the second half of the movie would be in San Francisco, but clearly that was too expensive because they spend all of, like, three minutes in San Francisco in the whole movie. The opening is a, yep, that's me, record scratch <laughs> yeah. moment as well. Again, that kind of <laughs> cracked me up. I can't believe they actually fucking did it. We laughed at that, actually, but it was like, God, it's so bad. Yeah, it was that. It was like, I can't believe they've fucking done this, rather than, haha. And Sonic's mum is an OC owl <laughs> as well, out of nowhere, and Knuckles comes to kill Sonic while he's a baby. There was no reason that she couldn't go through the ring. Yes. There was no reason she doesn't leave to live with sonic on earth she just like pushes him through she's just like i'm just gonna stay on this side of the ring for no reason and get killed by nipples the echinacea nipples the echinacea yes nipples the enchilada yes there's big sequel hooks at the end tails comes through a portal and is like i'm gonna find sonic and also there's a bit where eggman is trapped on a mushroom planet and has shaved his head so that he's finally bald and his mustache has gone all big and bushy. Isn't that the transition from Sonic 3 to Sonic and Knuckles? The writers watched the Street Fighter movie and they saw where all the characters' outfits start out not looking like their characters and end up looking like their characters. And they were like, you know what? That's the one bit of the Street Fight movie that I will pinch. So Jim Carrey starts the movie just looking like Jim Carrey, but he ends the movie looking like Robotnik. But, like, it's not a gradual transition. It's literally just, like, right at the end, he suddenly is Robotnik because he shaved his head off. He starts wearing Robotnik clothes halfway through, oh, the yeah, jacket and stuff, and the colour scheme. Yeah, I forgot about And that. the goggles like the, as well. In, the, in his little flying robot thingy. Eggman's got a really weird character arc in this because, like, he works for the American government, but he's clearly insane and evil. And they say at the start of the film, 
do you really think we should use this guy? He's insane and evil. Remember what happened in Iranistan? <laughs> and they said, I've never heard of it. That's that's precisely what I meant. You can thank him for that, is what they say. Yeah, that's it. The American government would never employ anyone to do any unethical experiments. Are you kidding? That would never happen, Caldrum, Caldrum, Caldrum. But, like... He's got a playlist on his phone called Anarchy Playlist. Like, he clearly sees himself as an evil person in the film, which is just odd. That's what you want for, like, a cartoon villain. He's just a prick. But he's not comedy evil, he's just... Yeah, he's like, my parents never loved me evil. He's just a wanker. I don't know, I thought he was just a teeth-gnashing, like, twirly-moustache cartoon villain. No. No, he's, he's an angsty... Nobody loves me, so I want to destroy the world, villain. He's not even that. He's like that annoying prick at school who was like, because he was like in the higher maths class, he thought he was the absolute tit. Yes. So he was just a prick to everyone. That was me. That's what I enjoyed. I thought that was fun. He's like the, he's he's like the people on Reddit who browse our science and correct everyone. Yeah. That cracked me up. I thought that was funny. He's got no fucking mates. I hate him. While we've got a good selection of people here, I'd like to put forward a Lionhead game or Bullfrog Studios game as our next book club game. I was thinking black and white, but we could do Dungeon Keeper quite easily, I would think. I'm down. Can I play any of them for free without it being illegal? No, but you can get them for like a pound. Like, literally a pound. Okay, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Well, they run on a shit device. They should do. They ran on my mum's computer when I was, like, six, so... Okay, I should be okay then. Can it be Sim Theme Park? Dungeon Keeper is like Sim Theme Park, except with dungeons. Yeah, it, 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 it is. I prefer Dungeon Keeper to Theme Park. I don't have strong opinions on Black and White, but I feel like Black and White is the more interesting choice because it's such a weird game. Do we want to do Black and White, then? Let's do that, then. Black and white works for me. You've been playing it recently anyway, haven't you? I have. I've not played it in about 15 years, so maybe it'll be good. This has been Gentlemen Discussing Coronavirus. I'm the only one left alive. Goodbye. No, I'm living. I'm dead. I'm fine so far. Oh, shit. People have started zombifying. We're all still alive. I'm in happy isolation. Nah, you're all zombies. Excuse me, it's cold. And remember, remain indoors. Remain indoors. Wash your hands, cover your mouth, buckle your seatbelt. For God's sake! I'm going to start recording again because I have a really strong opinion on Doom Eternal, which is that it's much better than Doom 2016. Doom Eternal is better because it's not trying to be like original, because it's not like an original Doom.
So Doom 2016 had this problem where it was trying to be like original Doom, but really it was a completely different game. And it included a system, the glory kills, which sucked the depth and the fun out of the game. Doom Eternal takes that system and adds a lot of interesting things to it. Like you have three different resources. You have your health, the armor, and the ammo. You have different ways of killing enemies that gain that resources. And now you've got to kind of in combat balance like which resources you're low on, what kind of kills you want to get in order to get those resources. And although it's kind of like overcomplicated and there's slightly too much shit going on all the time, it is actually fun and strategic in a way where Doom 2016 just felt kind of brain dead to me. I'm not not enjoying it, so it's not like I think it's bad, but... I don't hate, yeah, I don't hate it by any means. I think that Doom 2016 was a lot more coherent, just like the way that it was aesthetically designed, the way it was... No. Its approach to the story was consistent. It was consistent. That's what I'm going to say. It was consistent, but it went for something really boring. Doom Eternal is guilty of just throwing shit at the wall. But like 90% of the shit that it throws is actually interesting. I don't like cooldown stuff that much. Or rather, I don't like the cooldown stuff they put in the game as it is. Because I don't like cooldowns. I would rather you had infinite chainsaws and fire and finite grenades that you picked up on the ground. I think having them on a timer is bad. Technically speaking, you do have infinite chainsaw. They are just like one pip is on a timer. But it is cooldown, which kind of annoys me. Because it's like, if I need ammo, I need ammo. Don't put the only good way to get ammo in the game on a cooldown. So I have to run around while I wait for it to continue. It's the only way to get ammo. I mean, other than picking it up off the ground, if there's no more ammo on the ground, the only way that you have of getting ammo is by chainsawing. In Doom 2016, there's no real reason in the fights to go away from the enemies ever, because mm. they're both the thing you have to kill and the source of your health if you're near them. In 2016, you often find that you've run out of ammo or health, and you're not in a good position to harvest ammo or health from an enemy. So what do you do? You run away. And that's good because... That means that there are advantages to being close to and far away from the enemies in this game. Whereas in 2016, you're just always wanting to be close, to close the distance. And that makes it a boring game. The balancing isn't amazing and the difficulty curve is kind of mixed up because there's like a whole one and a half hour long chunk of the game where you don't go back to the Doom base and get the opportunity to level up your stuff. That happens again. But overall... I would take, and stuff like the aesthetic, like, I would take something that is a bit flawed but interesting over something that is more focused but not interesting. I never had that issue that you had with, with Doom 2016. I never really experienced that. I'm getting bored of this. Like, what it was doing was boring. Uh, do you ever just go into a level and you just see, like, a drab orange landscape and you're like, oh, great, another drab orange. Even looking at the... Mo- like, if you look at the monsters, like, look at the Cyber Demon in 2016 and then look at it in Eternal and tell me which one is interesting. I would say that neither of them particularly. I mean, Doom 2016's one is... It's like, okay, that's like an updated Cyber Demon or whatever. Doom Eternal's one is just, we took the sprite and we turned it into a model, okay? See, I feel like Doom Eternal's landscapes are more boring than Doom 2016's, personally. Really? Why? I like the fact that there's color. I'll give it that. There's, like, more color, but it kind of trades off with the fact that it all just kind of looks like generic, like, earth ruins. Maybe I've played too much Tomb Raider. There's that, and there's heavy metal, like, box art, I guess, if you want to call it that. 
maybe it was you cats who said it just leaned into the warhammer 40k aesthetic too much it does lean into the warhammer 40k aesthetic too much but i've only played up to the level where you go and destroy the big heart in the factory which i don't know how far into the game that is but like there's been like a factory level there's been an ice level there's been like an old monastery level there have been two ruined earth levels so that's been like the one that there has been the most of. But I feel like there's a lot more. There's a lot more different themes for levels and different colors of levels. I appreciate that. I just think the actual environments themselves that you do stuff in. The environments themselves are kind of a mixed bag. Yeah. But I don't remember the environments being exceptional in Doom 2016 either. I don't know about exceptional, but I think there was just a general higher level of quality. It had less misses for me, at least. Like, there are bigger hits, if that makes sense, in twenty in, in Eternal, but there were less misses for me in 2016. In Eternal, they've added a heavy emphasis on platforming, right? It, how much does that come up, and is it any good? Yeah. Mm. I like it. It's all right. So there's traversal for the main sections, which is kind of easy, but... It really does feel like platforming in terms of like yeah. you're jumping around from platform to platform, you're climbing things, you're do there's like fire bars from Mario yeah. and like platforms that sink into lava and stuff in this game. Uh, but the game doesn't have that first person platformery type issue because it is very forgiving with mm -hmm. the like ledges and ledge grabbing you can pretty much always grab onto ledges and you can if you push e you'll zip onto a climbable platform from a few meters away yes so it's never really challenging it's just a fun change of pace after you've done so many different combat sections yeah and falling doesn't really do anything to you and it makes you lose a little bit of health but like yeah yeah no, there's no fall damage now, which I'm really glad about because I went back and played 2016 a couple of weeks ago, and there's fall damage, or, or rather, there are there are falls which kind of like you have to brace yourself for, and there's recovery, um, and then there are falls that just kill you, and that's kind of it. I'd forgotten that that was a thing because it's bad and it shouldn't be in the game. My perception of the traversal of platforming is coloured by the fact that I played a lot of Titanfall. Oh yeah, where traversal. Traversal is your main thing. Traversal and movement and combat are one thing in Titanfall. They're not multiple things. Yeah. In Doom Eternal, traversal is a fun distraction to break up the pace sometimes. Other than using the dash move to evade enemies, it yes. doesn't come up in combat. And I feel like they should have just made you go faster yes. instead of giving you a dash move. I agree. I feel like that's a really big oversight. Where it does kind of get enjoyable for me is that most of the secrets in the game are found by the traversal mechanics. In this game, it's fun to like double jump and dash and swing around on the various like monkey bar things that are in the levels to try and get all the secrets. And also in Doom 2016, I stopped going for the secrets because they're just fucking like pop figures and stuff. But in this game, there's upgrades that I actually want rather than just the gun upgrades that are boring. In 2016, you had four different types of upgrades that you maybe cared about. So weapon mods were the big one because they dramatically changed how your weapons worked. You had like the Praetor suit tokens, which are the same as they are now. So there were Argent Energy Cells, which are the same things that your like crystals are doing now with upgrading health ammo or armor those are the only upgrades those are the matter. ones that you really cared about and then there were the toys like the funko pop figures whatever um, which are still in doom eternal as well anyway yeah but even though they're still there 
you now have a shelf for your fucking doom man cave that you can see all the funko pops on yes and that makes it so much it better. does make it more immediate as to when you get back to go oh yeah those are the things that i collected you can also somehow somewhere pick up like doom one and two to play on on doom guy's pc like his like windows 98 pc his dos pc that he's got <laughs> to his right i appreciate that i'm sure you do as well cats a lot of the retro Doom stuff in this game is pure lip service. It that's, is, yeah. That's just meaningless. Okay, so actually... Here's a floppy disk, guys. Remember floppy disks? This pissed me off because they do all this, hey, remember retro Doom stuff? And then they refer to a demon as a pinky in the yes, game. Like it's not that. called a pinky, like it's that's called a demon. demon. But Here's it's the called thing. a pinky now. It's it, called doesn't, a pinky now. it doesn't matter that they've decided to call a demon a pinky, but it shows that they don't know the source material. <laughs> it would be like if you made a Lord of the Rings game and called a regular orc an uruk high or something. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. it doesn't matter, but it shows that you've not done your homework. It's just it's what they're called now. It's like how monsters infight, but they don't do damage to one another. Do they so not? It, I thought they did no. do damage to each other. I sat and watched monsters infighting for like oh, three minutes and none of them died. So again, it's it has the aesthetic yeah, resemblance yeah, yeah. of the old thing. It is just surface level. Do monsters fight each other in the original Doom? I want to say that it's like Doom 2, because it's like it's the sequel. In Doom 2, specifically. I mean, they will in Doom 1, but it's a lot more difficult. In Doom 2, they specifically designed the level so that they would happen more often. I don't like Doom Eternal as much as I enjoyed playing Doom 2016. And I, I wonder if it's maybe because I've been spoiled by Titanfall. Probably. Because I wasn't spoiled by Titanfall when I played Doom. I'm disappointed with the Super Shotgun's grappling hook, because they made a really big thing out of it in like the, um, the pre-release stuff, and it's fucking pointless. Like, why bother? They showed that so much in the pre-release material, that's like one of the few things I remember. It's, it's, it's not a grappling hook. You can grapple only to enemies and it pulls you towards them. It doesn't really do anything useful for you as far as I can tell. Oh, so to get there fast so I, sh I can shotgun it in the face kind of thing. Here's my really big problem and it ties into the super shotgun. When I first got the super shotgun, I was excited and I shot a normal enemy with it and it evaporated the enemy instantly. That meant that I couldn't glory kill the enemy and get health or get yes. ammo or get anything else from it. And I was like, well, I have no reason to have these super powerful <laughs> weapons out 99% of the time because yep. I'm going to have to switch away to my less powerful weapons so that I'm able to get the yep. chainsaw and glory kills on the basic enemies. And that is such a fundamental problem with the way the system is designed. High-powered weapons do too much damage, and they don't let you get the glory kill. If you could get the health and the ammo from gibbing, insta-gibbing a low-level weapon with a high-level enemy, the game would be like 100% better. The way that you change your playstyle to fix that particular problem is you use your high-powered weapons when you're low on health, they will drop health regardless if you are low on health, mm. even if you insta-give them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously you use the heavier weapons for the for the heavier enemies in the game, but like the weapons switching speed is kind of slow even when you upgrade it. Yeah, I know. And like you don't want to be fucking about with the weapons when you're in it, because combat in that game is very fast and you die very fast. Yes. You don't have time to fuck about going through your weapons to work out. They want you to use the weapon wheel. They desperately want you to use the weapon wheel, and I do use the weapon wheel as a result. Don't want to use the weapon wheel? I don't either, but I'm playing on ultraviolence, and I pretty much have to if I want to change weapons properly. Right, okay. I'm not particularly good at New Doom. Like, the lower difficulty is fine for me. It's too easy to zap around the map, especially with the double dash. 
that's how you cope with the overwhelming number of enemies the game throws at you is you basically just kite them you run all the way over to the other side of the map and find a low level enemy that's staggering around to kill and then go back to them and that's kind of that doesn't really work gameplay wise and they're just easy to kite with the double dash they're just so easy to kite around they try to give the enemies better mobility but it's not good enough it's not enough I mean, they've increased your mobility at the same time. It's like they tried to fix a problem from Doom 2016, but they didn't fix the problem that they caused with fixing it the second time, if that makes sense. So they fixed it twice, and the, third, the second fix broke it again. They've balanced it like Nintendo balances Smash Bros. <laughs> yes. So here's the thing. Even though I've been nitpicking this game for like 15 minutes now, I do prefer it to Doom 2016, and it's, it's a philosophical reason. It's because... Doom 2016 was trying to be like Doom and failing. You felt like it was masquerading as a good friend. It was trying to masquerade as Doom. It wasn't Doom, but it wasn't. It didn't have any of its own ideas really to add other than, hey, Doom. This game tries to be something that is very different and distinct from Doom, and it has its own original ideas. And even though it doesn't fully deliver on those, I do think the core concept of like playing it almost like a character action game and having the different attacks that you do like get enemies to drop different resources and managing those resources is a really good idea and that does make it more fun 